write this not for the many, but for you. Each of us is enough of an audience for the other. I read this quote from Seneca in a blog post by Joe Abiton. The context of that article being mass production, specifically audience acquisition by means thereof. Abiton argues that while there are powerful incentives behind mass production, one-on-one human interaction can have a more powerful impact. When I think of it, I can't think of any significant moment in my life that was brought about by throngs of people. Rather, singular interactions with a teacher or my mother, a student or a boss, a guest or a listener, echo in the recesses of my mind unlike those of staggering numbers. Seems counterintuitive. Like collaboration over competition, equity over the status quo, abundance mindset over scarcity, gap years over full steam ahead, exploration over expectation. But that's Scivio. So I'm going to need y'all to do at least two things to subscribe in iTunes. It's a purple shape with the letters subscribe for subscribe in white Google play. I don't know to share. There's three dots arranged horizontally. You click that you can even text it. Like there's so many options by which to share this through which to share this. Um, and why you may ask, like, is it, you know, because I'm conceited and I want attention? (laughs) Why am I asking you this before you've even listened to the full episode? Well, you know, I'm imagining at least some of you are here because of the guest, because you know her and I'm imagining that you like her. I do. So (laughs) as if, as if that's, you know reason why the reason why you should like her but i'm imagining you know to go back to my original point that at least some of you are here by way of her not by way of me right your subscribing your sharing helps in the world of the internet and of itunes and the world of the world to be frank helps uplift the work right indirectly of the guest. My guests have written books. They have, you know, they may have a blog, a YouTube channel, a book, uh, an organization, a company, a podcast. Impressed me so much that I felt compelled to bring them into the fold of Scivio Radio, right? And so, you know, I personally think other people would benefit from their work. You probably think that as well, especially if you, again, know and like. (laughs) Um, The person that I'm about to have a conversation, not about to, like, whose conversation with me you're about to listen to. And so for other people to benefit, they need to rise up further out of obscurity. And 
the way that works on the internet is algorithms and such, right? And so your subscribing and sharing has like a tangible direct impact on the visibility of their work and my work. Also, uh, it takes, it can take hours. One episode, one hour long, hour long ish episode can take seven to 10 hours to edit and produce. Uh, and it's not just me, I've outsourced. Okay. And uh, one person said, you know, they imagine it would take them three to six days going forward to edit and produce, right? And I was like, yes. You know, I didn't reply to that, but in my brain, I was just like, yep, that takes me that long. So I know you're not lying. And so just, you know, not as a seeker of celebrity or fame, because you know, that could even be in an episode in and of itself. I think I saw on Twitter, someone said, no, the grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it, right? And I feel like this is a societal trap that we sometimes look at things thinking, oh, if only I had that, then I would be happy. We view happiness, you know, as a society, as a future point, right? And it's possible to have, and you know this, so much, literally everything you ever wanted and still feel empty, right? And then there are people who have so little, but their faces are beaming. They have so much joy. It's like they're in a separate universe. That's how happy they are. Um, And so I feel like that's even one of the things that I appreciate most about this world is that your mindset can dictate so much of how you respond to what happens to you, right? Like, it's not as if we live in a world where the paradigm is something happens to you and that's it. There's like this further space where your reaction can really shape so much of your experience. This is a tangent, but (laughs) how did I go on to this philosophical bend? Um, But I'm just trying to ask y'all to subscribe and share this episode or whatever episode you like, right? Yeah, that's going to be a... Anyone who's... I mean, I've met a philosophy major before, but like (laughs) in my personal circle, I don't know anyone who's a philosophy major. So I just find your major really interesting. And then also you graduated from UChicago. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess my, I wrote a list of questions about like these different topics, YouTube, the blog, etc. I guess my first. Before we start, can I, can I ask like just a little bit more about you? I was doing a little bit of Instagram stalking, but like how old are you? What are you a student of? When did you start your blog? Kind of like give me some background so I can be excited, you know? 
Um, I'm 26 years old. Um, because I was born in '93. I always have to like count because like 25, 26 was like a blur. So like, <laughs> um, and then I graduated from Princeton in 2015. So that's like four years ago now. And then, um, I went to UPenn for a postdoc program because I thought I wanted to be a medical doctor. Then like a year into that program, I was like, oh, actually, I don't want to be a medical doctor. So then I left that program. Um, and then two years ago, I started a company, um, called Skivio to like help students increase access to college for students, especially international students and minority students. Um, but then also increase transparency because when I, you know, after leaving those two schools, I realized there was so much that I learned there just from like hearsay or my own experience that no one, you know, in the administration or on the campus tour or on the website told me or warned me about before I started. And so that's really like the core purpose of Skivio is to like create this network where we inform each other of like these different, I wouldn't say secrets about college and grad school, but just things that you wouldn't find on like first page of Google results, right? Like things that are not really obvious or people don't really may not think to like tell you on a campus tour or something like that. That's only like, you know, 50 minutes long. Yeah. So basically like the point of it is just like educate people about education (laughs) and then the, the blog. So like, or I guess really the podcast started a year ago in the summer. And so it's only a year like long that I've been doing it. And basically what I do is I interview different people who are either currently in, you know, a graduate program or they've graduated from college recently. And so, like, I'm just trying to understand their journeys in life, but also like in their, you know, the start of their careers or in academia. I'm trying to understand, you know, what they've learned about college, like a lot of them tell me you know that there are things that they didn't understand until they got to college you know what i'm saying like they didn't realize until they got there so yeah that's pretty much my story is you know that's the sequence of things in my recent life okay nice you know i saw your video about when you were applying to graduate school and you applied, you know, I think you applied your senior year of college. Yes. Yeah. And, um, you know, you were seemed at the beginning of the video, it seemed like you were optimistic about getting a response to attend one of the programs you applied to. But then the video, basically, you were rejected from 26, all 26 places you applied to. But I really admired the way that you did the video because it was sort of not only tongue in cheek, but also just like, I felt like it was really brave, which may sound like cliche, but I feel like, you know, for example, that's something that is kind of, in my opinion, I feel like less so now, but it's kind of underreported by people. Like you usually hear about the successes or all the places people got into or what fabulous, you know, adventures are going to go on, but you don't usually hear the majority of information about this is not usually, Oh, the, the lack of success. Right. So what inspired you to want to share this with people? Hi everybody. And welcome back to my channel. I just want to start by saying that 
celebrity and having 24 subscribers can really get to your head. Um, so I'm trying really hard to be humble. And I've done that by getting rejected from 25 of the schools that I applied to for getting a PhD in the philosophy. Yay! For those of you who are wondering, and I've been getting a lot of these messages, thank you guys so much. Uh, where have you been for the last seven months? People ask, my fans. I've been busy in the last seven months um, applying to uh, PhD programs in philosophy and then for the later of those seven months getting rejected from them. Don't be deceived by how nonchalant I sound. Many things, I guess there were like many factors that went into it. It was a really hard process, right? Because PhD programs in philosophy are very selective, so if you look into their stats, like on official websites, some of them brag about how they're more selective than Yale Law School. So <laughs> it like it was from the beginning, it was intimidating and also being a woman, being a Muslim woman in philosophy is like a lot of the times you just feel out of place. And like imposter syndrome but in such like a sinister way that you're just like I don't need like I don't even know how to think or how to ask questions can I do something like philosophy so applying and getting into a PhD program was for me like a way to prove to myself and to other people that I could do it and so to, to get rejected from 26 schools was really hard because unlike college decisions there's no like set date that things come out in so it was just coming in waves so it's for like a month every two or three days I would get an email or two from a different program I applied to so it's really hard and I wanted to share it because I think for me it was a way to kind of announce it and I've so I post a lot on social media on my personal account like on my personal Facebook um, I do the, I've been doing this thing for like almost six years where um, every day I'll post a photo and like so at the behest of Skype I have to interrupt this broadcast every 15 minutes at 15 minute intervals to remind you that the software used for this conversation is brought to you by Skype. Uh, I should also mention that Scivio seeks to undermine the status quo and render the pursuit of higher ed equitable for all. Or at least it once did. How do you discover that about which you're passionate? And can you have co-passions? Is that really possible? Maybe it is because you can have more than one passion 
that you're pursuing or, or would like to pursue and the reason there's that multiplicity that plurality is because each of those passions reflects the same underlying affinity that you have towards something um So this interruption became a bit more stream of consciousness. Um, initially, it started out as the fulfillment <laughs> of, a, of a legal, technically, order. Then it changed to, well, I should plug Skivio if I have to plug Skype. And then it evolved into this deeper almost existential if not directly existential question about how does one decide what to pursue which honestly this is coming full circle because is that not the purpose of Skivio radio right I've interviewed people from a range of backgrounds and you find that I consistently ask about whether the path they're currently on was one they imagined they would embark upon, right? If this path that they're on now, is it something that they knew from a young age, from earlier in life, from whatever point, whatever previous point that they we're being called to, right? <laughs> if we're going to invoke a sense of destiny. Or is it really just the reflection of their wanting to change, right? There's nothing deeper. It wasn't um, from a historical or, or childhood, you know, fantasy about what, what I want to be, you know, before I'm 30, because apparently uh, there's a deadline that's, that's quite ageist, right? You know, uh, how many authors and writers only wrote their first book, you know, at, when they were 50 or 60, in their 50s, in their 60s, right? How many great things were accomplished by humankind from people who were in middle age or older? So I honestly don't know where this deadline comes from. Thank you for sticking with me through yet another digression and I return you back to my programming and this conversation. And follow Skivio on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Facebook, Skivio isn't active, so you can follow us there as well. But um, there, it would only be a show of support. <laughs> it wouldn't be to receive any information um, or content or resources because I'm very big on that. What I did that day and some reflections about it. And I've done variations on this, but every year has a different theme, different focus, blah, blah, blah. And so I started, for example, on my 21st birthday and I was going to do like my being 21 and senior of college and all the stuff was going to be like the focus of my next project and so everybody all my friends family extended acquaintances everybody was kind of roped into this journey from the very beginning so 
it was like oh I'm doing applications I am like today I spent like six hours on doing this today I applied to three more schools today I searched more of this more of that so one aspect of making this video was how do I tell all these people that <laughs> none of that like le led to what everyone was expecting including myself but at the same time I think it also has to do with my personality I like sharing things with a lot of people at once and I be through those kind of daily projects I found that when I post something online uh, especially like negative or sad things more people reach out to me not just to like Mm, ask me how I'm doing or console me but to share their own struggles and open a conversation or just kind of like start that and so what happened after I posted this video was a lot of the same so many people that I hadn't actually talked to in a, in a while messaged me and they were like I went through the same process like I'm so glad you 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 said something about this because I feel like shame and embarrassment and it's never like a life achievement to to fail <laughs> at so many things <laughs> so it was that and it was just I think like if you asked my friends it's a very me thing to do because it's like the it's like when you have personal faults it's more fun if you own up to them because then nobody can kind of like make you feel bad about it that was kind of my psychology it was like if I own up to it I'll, I'll like I'll make a funny YouTube video about it I have like 20 subscribers you know it, it'll be like this thing and make me feel better about myself and it did so yeah I mean your what you just said your mindset about it was that it would be you could make it come across positive by you know posting a funny video about it like that same mindset I actually watched the 100 days of rejection that you mentioned there was a TED talk about in your video and I had watched it before seeing your video I had watched it a while ago and then even TED has a podcast right aside from the YouTube channel and so that person I can plug his name in later his name is Zhe Zhang, and his TED Talk about rejection has over 2 million views, and it's extremely entertaining, so I suggest you watch it after. Pause this, watch that, come back to this. He came on to that podcast, and he was, and, they, and that basically on that, they talk about the TED Talks more in depth, right? Because they're actually interviewing the person. And he had the, a similar mindset of, I mean, I guess for him, he was someone for a while he was crippled with this fear of rejection like his passion was to enter business and he has a very entrepreneurial drive and just the fear of rejection crippled him so much and it got to the point where his wife became pregnant and she told him she was straight up honest she said and this wasn't in the TED talk this was in the, um, the podcast she told him that you have to go and pursue your dreams now because I don't want you to become like old and gray and this child has grown and then you look at us and you like regret that you didn't go further with your life, right? Like she basically was like, you have to go and like <laughs> pursue this before this child is born and like you're ha you have more responsibility, right? Basically he was saying how he quit his job like 
very soon after this conversation to the dismay of his in-laws who are just like, why are you quitting a job? You have a child on the way. <laughs> like, you, what are you talking about? And he said they were very, very angry with him. But he basically like wanted a blank slate to go pursue his entrepreneurial dreams. But his mindset, he went through 100 days of rejection, right? Like where he, for every day, forced himself to do some wild, crazy thing that would probably result in rejection, like going up to a stranger and asking them for 50 or $100 or something, doing something like this every day. And he said at the end of it, he realized that like, it's not that he was less afraid of being rejected, but he realized that there's this other side where the person more often than not at least wants to like understand why you're asking them that or at least like is not as scary as you think they are right like he said even the person he asked for a hundred dollars they they invited him to explain why they're just like oh what do you need that for right it's not like they just said no go away (laughs) right away so i found it like really interesting because it's like i feel like some people get so caught up in the fear of something that it prevents them from seeing the other side and the other side sometimes is really a side where you see there is nothing to be afraid of at all in fact there was a study this is this is production amina talking there was a study that showed that for those with generalized anxiety disorder gad 91.4 percent of their worries didn't actually come true the study was done by Lafreniere, Lucas Lafreniere, and Michelle Newman. I can link the study in the description of this episode or on the episode webpage at skivio.com. Okay, back to the show. But it's like the wall between those two sides can be so tall that it doesn't even seem possible to you. But that's my tangent about that TED Talk. But yeah, you were saying in that video that you have tips and tricks for the grad school application process. Mm -hmm. And I think your plan was to like share those later, but do you mind sharing at least some of what your suggestions are for people going through that process? Yeah. I made like a huge document where I wrote all this down because I started fairly early, but even then there was such a time crunch Actually, like I've just been procrastinating on making this new tips and tricks video. But then when you messaged me, I was like, you know what? I'll do my next video. And then at the start of my video, I can say, guys, you won't believe that I've just been interviewed on a podcast. So that's basically what's going to happen. I think the most frustrating thing about the application process is that For grad school, it's not like the Common App. Every school has their own little website with their own weird requirements, and you have to fill in the same information over and over again. So what I did was, like, back in September, I just basically started all those applications and filled in most of that address, name, parents' name, all that kind of stuff, so that when I had to actually put in my letters of recommendation, kind of like requests, my writing uh, sample, my personal statement, that kind of stuff, I could focus more on that later. And even though it's obviously 
preferable that you're not submitting these on the last day or the day before it ends up being like that because I was trying to polish everything until the last minute and everything had a different deadline so what I did was I made this master kind of like document it was like 27 pages by the end where I had like every school I was applying to the website for their admissions page the website for their like login to the application the deadline for the application and if there's a time or if it's midnight what time zone they're in what kind of things they require because even though they're all philosophy PhD programs they all required slightly different things like some of them required a personal statement and an academic statement of purpose so in one of them you talk about like how your personal journey in life affected your interest and engagement for philosophy whereas in the academic statement of purpose you're talking about like what you're interested in philosophically and some of them are like they require both some of them make the personal statement optional some of them require a diversity statement some of them require an abstract for your writing sample the writing sample writing requirements the page length blah 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 like there's so many little details that are different for all of them even if you think you have all the material you end up needing to change everything a little bit for every application and I wouldn't recommend applying to as many programs but because as I said they're very very selective and I apply to the top schools top quote-unquote um, I was just like you know what I'll just apply to like 30 thank god I didn't apply to 30 because so at the behest of Skype I have to interrupt this broadcast every 15 minutes at 15 minute intervals to remind you that the software used for this conversation is brought to you by Skype. Uh, I should also mention that Scivio seeks to undermine the status quo and render the pursuit of higher ed equitable for all. Maybe like the four extra rejections would have been the straw that broke my back, you know, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I think in the video I say that too. I, I thought I applied to 25, but then I actually apparently ended up applying 26. So then I got this extra rejection. <laughs> for people applying to grad programs in the humanities where you do need some sort of writing sample it's really important to get as much feedback as you can and to get detailed feedback from professors or from faculty who also serve on admissions boards because I had my like BA advisor he's the one who advises my thesis look at my writing sample and some TAs and some friends but I think it would have been more beneficial for me if I had asked more like faculty members just because they can be more critical and they can tell me like what might have been red flags or not just like an etiquette thing I, I think a lot of so my dad teaches also he's a professor and I also, I, so, I also know like his side of things. So one thing that I was 
telling people who were asking me about the process were also just like making sure that people who are writing you letters and advising your paper and etc you thank them because they actually put in so much work in such inconvenient times to help you get through this process like i had tas who were reading like 20 page papers and giving me feedback multiple times and that's not they're not getting paid for that right so it's the same with professors like i had some deadlines for rec letters where it was like middle of december they're on winter break some of them were like right before christmas and I would have to email them and remind them, hey, can you submit my recommendation letter? And they were like, oh yeah, sure, like I'll do that right now. Well, even though they're with their family and thanking them, I wrote like thank you cards and I got little like gifts for people because I think like the gesture is important also for other students because, you know, if they felt like they were taken advantage of, they might not help other people. So yeah, those are the main things that I remember. <laughs> If one person or enough people treat them in a way where they feel like, well, why am I even putting this much effort in or why am I doing this at all? Mm -hmm. Then that could like pass on to like the next person who's like unsuspecting, optimistic student mm -hmm. thinking like, oh, yeah, this professor will help me. And that professor is like already jaded and like disillusioned <laughs> yeah. with helping students. Yeah, I, I, I think like on the flip side early in early fall I didn't even want to ask my BA advisor whom I had known for like two plus years at that point you know like I was meeting with him almost every other week but I was like oh my god like I don't want to ask him for something else you know and with other professors who I asked for recommendations I just felt like I don't want to be a burden I don't want to do this I don't want to do that and I would go to them and I'd be like, I'm really sorry. Like, I was apologizing and being like, could you write me a recommendation letter? I'm so sorry. I know you're busy, blah, blah. And they were like, you're fine. You know, we are here to help you. As long as you don't come off as an entitled brat, they're more than happy to help you succeed and accomplish what you need. Even if the results are like all rejections. It was, it was so like comforting to know that nobody was like, annoyed by me or didn't want what was best for me I knew that everyone who was helping me wanted me to succeed that was just really comforting because again it's like being a minority in my field I feel out of place a lot and so to have that kind of sport was just like even if it doesn't work out I know that these people believe in me it's really reassuring yeah I mean I think one thing that's interesting is I guess I'm wondering like I don't know how to phrase this I don't want to come across like weird but I'm just wondering how did you become interested in philosophy and I don't say that in a way to come across offensive like oh how is it possible for someone to be interested in philosophy like right, right, it, right. you know <laughs> right. I'm, I'm not coming across that way I'm just mean like I just find it interesting like how did like was there something that happened to spur you on to pursue mm -hmm. that or yeah I wish it was that interesting um but <laughs> my dad is he studies Islamic philosophy so I kind of always grew up in a more kind of like snobby intellectual environment I think <laughs> I think it's just like I feel comfortable doing philosophy I don't do Islamic philosophy I 
kind of like do that on my own time but it's not considered philosophy in like the western sense which is another discussion <laughs> if you want to have that but yeah i mean it's not like it was what i wanted since i was 5 but once i came to college i felt comfortable doing it on my own time and then even in classes where i felt underprepared and definitely like stupid or just i don't know any of these things you're in class with people who have been reading plato since they were in like fourth grade right and so <laughs> it's it's kind of like an uphill battle to keep telling yourself you're good at it or that you can become better at it but i just i like how fundamental it is i love and what i love most is ancient philosophy like i love reading platonic dialogues to me it has like many different aspects of why it's really inspiring because like when i think about it, it's like 4000 years ago people were thinking about these issues and we're still thinking about them not in like a way that's like oh philosophy is useless like you haven't been able to solve this problem for 4000 years <laughs> it's like look at this like look at the human condition and how we exist and how do we make sense of this and that's just really cool to see like how people have come up with different answers to those big questions so it it has like a really fun side to it for me but i think it remains like that because i'm not like an existential pessimist you know like I don't come out of my philosophy classes and philosophical training thinking oh like life is meaningless in the end blah blah blah. Initially I wanted to do philosophy so I could go to law school. I wanted to become a judge for some reason. But the American judicial system is pretty whack and I don't think I could <laughs> like I couldn't I couldn't I don't have the heart to deal with it. Um so I was like I'll just do philosophy by itself. That's interesting. So I'm wondering like why why did you want to become a judge? Um That's a really good question. The leap to being a judge was from wanting to become a civil engineer. I really wanted to become a civil engineer. I went to like a STEM school, high school, and I was like, this is what I'm going to do. You're a social person, you're an extrovert. Engineers are just cooped up and like they're looking at papers all day. you should do something more involved with people like become a ceo or go to law school or something like that but i i think i didn't have like a good or accurate conception of what it, what it meant to be a lawyer back then cuz i was like but i can't defend people who are guilty <laughs> so um i was like i'll just become a judge because I've always been I don't like this word now that I'm a philosopher objective but <laughs> my parents sometimes joke that my feelings were like surgically removed so I can <laughs> assess situations uh in a less involved way so I was like it's too hard basically that's why I decided not to become one When you say it was too hard, do you mean that you 
started the law slash judge path academically or it was just you thought it was too hard as a career to have for you know a large part of your life it was it was hard in that I didn't like what I heard about law school I didn't want to be in a like graduate school environment where like you couldn't trust anybody (laughs) you know it just sounded so cutthroat and unhealthy and then also just how it takes at least another decade for you to become appointed as a judge so it was just like I didn't really see the benefit of investing that even though I'm a very competitive person it was just I don't know I was trying to rebrand myself no that makes sense so I guess you said in the video that you would you I guess now because the video was a while ago so I guess now this coming fall you're starting that program you mentioned at CUNY so I guess I'm wondering like when did you did you apply to that at the same time as the other schools or was that something you researched after you got your uh rejections from the other schools oh um neither Basically, what happens is sometimes when you apply to a PhD program and they don't accept you, but they still think they want you to be their student, they will refer you to their master program. So that's what happened with CUNY. They rejected me from their PhD, but then I got an email like a few days later that was like, we still want you to become a part of our cohort. So why don't you do the MA in philosophy? and then you can move on to PhD again. So that happened with CUNY and my college at the time. So UChicago also accepted me to their Master of Arts program in Humanities, but that was ridiculously expensive, even though I I would have liked to stay in Chicago, but they, I think that was the only advantage to it was that I would stay in Chicago so that I would be with like the department that I was used to. But New York is really where the center of philosophy is for academic kind of like enrichment so you need us this september you're starting there uh actually like next month by august 19th i'll be choosing my classes and then i have orientation the next week so i guess i'm wondering like have you ever been to new york before or is this like the first time that you'll be in that part of the country I have been before two times, once seven years ago, (laughs) once two years ago, I went to visit my best friend who was doing an internship there. So I have been to New York City and New York. Oh, I I was also in upstate New York for a philosophy program, actually. It's funny. Uh, In like Hamilton, New York, which is... 45 minutes away from Syracuse so it's like basically middle of nowhere but plug for that program it was like the best summer program I've ever attended but I've never I haven't visited the school <laughs> so I'm just kind of going in blind which is what I did with UChicago also so oh wow you never visited UChicago before um, accepting them no and I applied early and it was my dream school <laughs> Um, I guess so I'm wondering like since you went into you Chicago blind do you regret having gone in blind or you felt you knew enough about it that it felt like a secure decision I I just knew you know I had 
a beautiful promotional poster of Chicago in my bedroom. They're really great at marketing. That's one of the things that we always joke about. And they also, when senior year we were applying, they sent me a card with my name on it. Um, it was really cool. And I was like, well, let me learn more about this school. And then I was like, this sounds great. It's like an Ivy, but there's no sports culture. There's not like a big party scene. Now I sound like a super boring person, but <laughs> I wanted I wanted a more quirky campus back then. And Chicago just was cold and near a lake and it just had so many pluses, you know. So I was like, no, I don't need to visit. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. How would you describe like I guess for someone listening who's maybe considering So at the behest of Skype, I have to interrupt this broadcast every 15 minutes at 15 minute intervals to remind you that the software used for this conversation is brought to you by Skype. Uh, I should also mention that Scivio seeks to undermine the status quo and render the pursuit of higher ed equitable for all. Going to Chicago, how would you describe your, because you've graduated, so you've been there for, you know, years. How would you describe your experience? Um, I loved it. <laughs> I mean, it's like loving anything, you know, it has its ups and downs, but I love the city. I love being by the lake and I loved I loved my experience there. I loved my professors, the friends I made. As I said, like I went to a pretty competitive high school. So it was really like cutthroat and toxic and I was insecure in a lot of ways, so I, that didn't make my high school experience any better. And middle school which i also attended in america i was learning english so middle and high school i kind of just like blocked out of my memory because they're just so bad and i had such negative experiences but college was so great and it was just meeting so many lovely people the city is so alive but it, it's not in a way that's overwhelming the philosophy department, if anyone's interested in philosophy, is great. A lot of amazing, really helpful professors. Even though it's a lot of white boys who think they know everything, the professors are aware of that, so they really encourage you. And just the general kind of aura of the school, they don't feel like they need to overcompensate or they need to be like anybody else, you know? So. It's, it's really cool to see your peers kind of have their own passions and interests. They can pursue like whatever they're interested in in a way that's sported by both like the student community and the school. So it's just enough people that you're meeting these great, really cool people all the time and then you're also not forgetting them after like one meeting. I don't know. I, I think I'm talking to a lot of the social aspects, but I don't know if you have any 
more specific questions I can say more but overall like it was my dream school I didn't regret going there would you say that like because I remember you had a video where you linked in the description your essay for you Chicago and I read the <laughs> essay and it was actually really like funny and amazing. One of the words, what the, what the essay was about the word amazing because you were basically saying how, you know, it was even very skillful the way you wrote it because you managed to combine this story about the motor protein kinesin. And then this story about Louis C.K.'s, you know, comedy and this particular joke he made about, you know, why do people use amazing and awesome so frequently? What happens when your first child is born? What word are you going to use then? And then you basically had a rebuttal and you were saying, well, because he was saying like, why do people, oh, they go to Wendy's and have a sandwich and they say, this is amazing. And he's like, okay, you you wasted that word on a sandwich. (laughs) And you were saying, you know, how, why is it as a society, whenever we accomplish this new, reach this new advancement, Mm -hmm. after a while, it it becomes seen as basic and like rudimentary and it's like no longer amazing, even though at that moment, like for example, when the sandwich was invented, that was regarded as extraordinary. Whoever knew that this was, and then of course, the directions the sandwich has taken in the world, how many different sandwiches there are now and how often people eat them. And so basically you were saying, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of an attitude of ingratitude to some extent of just like, you know, just because this happened a long time ago and we're very commonplace, it doesn't make it any less amazing. And you were saying how the motor protein, you were wearing a shirt with a picture of the motor protein Mm -hmm. as you were on your bed thinking of this joke and then you use that as a vehicle to like introduce how amazing the motor protein is it can carry 240 times its weight and you likened it to a gymnast on a tightrope who's carrying two elephants on her back but except without any consciousness without any you know sight (laughs) um she has to manage this so I thought, I mean, obviously I'm not explaining it the best, but if, it's on your blog if anyone wants to go read it. Yeah, so I mean, I thought that was really interesting. I mean, I'm even curious, how have you developed as a writer? Because that's not only that's not the only piece I read on your blog. And I find the way that you think, it's not even just your writing, it's the way you think that's very, very like intriguing. And I'm wondering like, do you think it's growing up in sort of that academic household where your father's a professor and he's in philosophy or like through literature? Like, how do you think you develop that ability to think so critically? Oh, man. Thank you, by the way. I feel like the retelling was more entertaining than probably what I wrote. <laughs> uh, it's a mix of things. I love reading. I famously taught myself to read when I was like five. So... It, it like it was always this competition between me and my dad. We would do these weekly reading competitions, and whoever read more books would get a prize. Um, it was obviously me because I was reading like children's books, and I was always getting this like cash prize, which I would use to get more books. But that's one thing. The other part is definitely like growing up in that kind of household and in that kind of environment because, like, my dad's circle is also a lot of like 
intellectuals and academics and certain people that we read and engage with so I, I think I was always taught that this is more like religious training really that when you eat a sandwich right it's it's not just a sandwich and it's not just you bought it from one one place because I think religiously when you're getting this kind of like gratitude training um to thank god to thank your creator it's just to think beyond what you can see and it's that oh you bought this at a wendy's how to get to the wendy's blah 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 all these different like processes and people and things had to go into making this possible including in your own body and um it's always this kind of like imagining the grandeur of that right like even for such a simple act so many things in the universe have to work in tandem just to make like you to be able to walk to be able to chew gum to be to be able to do these things that we just call like inane and so that was kind of just the background intellectually for that piece because <laughs> that's a conversation that I keep having with people I also because I'm in philosophy, I wrote a like senior essay thesis, and it was about this. It was about causation, more uh, snobbly. But it was like, what is the causal chain of something very simple, and kind of how we react to it. So I don't know. I think it's a lot of the thinking mechanisms that have been ingrained in me has to do with growing up in that kind of environment, and being challenged by people so a lot of it is the writing style and the thinking style which I think they accompany each other is through that kind of intellectual training my dad when I was a kid I remember I was like oh my friend said this what are we supposed to think about it um and he was so like disappointed that I asked something like that he was like well, I can't tell you how to think. You should go do your own research and come up with an answer that you think is logically satisfying. And I was like, why can't you just give me an answer, you know? <laughs> so much easier. But it's always been that kind of... Because I think my, my parents like were Turkish. And due to post-World War II kind of political and religious currents in Turkey, they were really wary of dogmatism and teaching religion or religious thought in a way that's just like blind faith. So it's never been easy to get an answer. It's always been kind of like, I'm not going to tell you what to believe. You should go like find out on your own. the way that works on the internet is algorithms and such, right? And so your subscribing and sharing has like a tangible direct impact on the visibility of their work and my work. Yeah, that's Kimbia. <laughs>